0: Good morning friends. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. It's been a wonderful morning of worship and now we get to dive back into God's words. And for those of you who may be new, we've been going through what we call the uh, Messiah the Bible reading experience, and we have been journeying through the New Testament for the past four weeks. So we spent a couple weeks with Luke, and Luke told us the story of Jesus. And then Luke told us the story of how that good news spread out into the world. Well, Luke was a companion of Paul. And Paul was part of that message going out into the world. And so for the next couple weeks, we read letters that Paul wrote back to the churches, back to the communities that Paul started on his journeys, on his missionary journeys. So we're turning the corner. We're about halfway through. And this week, we get to start reading another story of Jesus. But friends... This story is from a different perspective. Because you you remember everything we read in the Bible was written to someone for a specific reason at a specific time, at a specific place. You see these stories of Jesus could be called theological biographies. Because yeah, they're the story of Jesus. But you know what? They're written for a specific reason. Because the audience who got these stories, they needed to hear something. They needed to be challenged in a certain way. And so these authors would create their story using things they had heard from other people. And and some of them were eyewitnesses to what they wrote about. But you know what's amazing? When you start to look at all these stories They're not all the same, are they? In fact, some of these authors will take some of the things that happened and they'll mix them up and they'll decide, I'm going to include this story. I'm not going to include this story. And today you're going to see how Mark, I hope, masterfully does this in order to teach his audience something that they needed to hear. I wanna start this morning by showing you this picture of this artifact. Let's see if this works. Hmm. There it is. This is called the Priene inscription. Now the Priene inscription is called that because they found this in the city of Priene, which is in Asia Minor. We know it as Turkey right near the city of Ephesus. Let me show you what this inscription said. It's called the Priene Calendar Inscription, 9 BC. And it says this, The birthday of the god Augustus Caesar has been for the whole world the beginning of the good news concerning him. Therefore, let a new era begin from his birth. So do you see what the people of Priene did? They were so excited about Caesar Augustus. Now, if you remember, Caesar Augustus was the nephew of Julius Caesar, and Caesar Augustus came into power. But Caesar Augustus came into power in a different way, because Caesar Augustus said, oh, I am not only the emperor of Rome, but I am a god. And so they would call Caesar Augustus the son of God, the prince of peace, the king of kings. And the people of Priena got so excited that they decided, we're going to readjust our whole calendar to be based off of Caesar Augustus' birth. Now listen to this, Mark writes this. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We could be done right now, right? Did you see what Mark just did? To an audience who was familiar with this, Mark just said, let me throw it out there. This God we worship, Jesus, this is the beginning of the good news. Jesus is the Messiah, not Caesar Augustus. So let's talk about Mark for a minute. Who was Mark? Well, we have some historians who help us with understanding who Mark was. Clement of Alexandria says this, "...when Peter had preached the word publicly in Rome and announced the gospel by the Spirit, those present of whom there were many besought Mark." Since for a long time he had followed him and remembered what had been said to record his words, Mark did this and communicated the gospel to those who made request of him. When Peter knew of it, he neither actively prevented nor encouraged the undertaking. Okay? So do you remember who Peter is? Peter was a disciple of Jesus. So Peter walked with Jesus, Peter saw the miracles. He saw Jesus serve and love others. He saw Jesus go through his trial, his crucifixion. And then he was there when Mary came and said, Jesus has risen. And so Peter went and told Peter's story. And it looks like Mark was a follower of Peter. Papias, who was citing John the Apostle, says this, Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all that he remembered, not indeed in order, interesting, huh? Of the things said or done by the Lord, for he had not heard the Lord, not had he followed him, but later on, as I said, followed Peter. Okay? So where did Peter get to know Mark, do we have any evidence in our Bibles of them knowing each other? Well, there's something interesting in Acts 12, 12, which you have already read. It says this, when he, Peter, realized this, this was after Peter went back to Jerusalem and Peter got put in jail and an angel came and freed Peter. And so Peter realized that it was an angel that freed him. When he, Peter, realized this, that it was an angel, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So think about it. Mark's mom lived in a house where a church had gathered. Interesting, right? So Maybe John Mark was there and Peter was there and Peter heard the stories of, you know, Peter runs in and says, I was just saved by an angel and maybe John Mark is hearing this. We don't know these things, but there's a connection here. So Mark would write the stories that he heard from Peter. Now, Scholars think that Mark was the first one to write down the stories of Jesus, at least the first of the four that we have. We know that many people wrote down the stories of Jesus, but we only have four of them. And Mark was probably the first one. And we think that because Luke and Matthew probably had Mark's story, because there's some overlap because you see, Mark is the shortest story we have. And Mark doesn't, Mark doesn't give us all the stories. He gives us a few of them, but he puts a lot of detail in those stories. And it's almost as if it was an oral tradition. Almost as if it was a story that Mark was telling people. Because man, Mark says, I want to introduce you to Jesus, the Son of God. And then Mark takes off and the story doesn't stop until the end. It's almost like you can step into Mark's stories with the details and the pictures that Mark paints. But Mark does some interesting things. And I wonder if it's because of Mark's experiences. In Acts 12, it says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John, Mark, with them. Okay. So Mark was connected to Barnabas and Saul, Paul. Acts 13, 4, verse 5 4 and 5. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. This was their first missionary journey. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God, and John Mark went with them as their assistant. Now here's a map. And this was their first Paul's first missionary journey. So he was in Jerusalem. He got sent back to Antioch. And the church in Antioch decided, we're going to send Paul out. So Paul travels with Barnabas and Mark to Cyprus, to Salamis, and starts to do ministry there. But then we read this. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Interesting, right? So they do ministry here in Salamis. They leave out of Paphos. They go up to Perga, to Pamphylia. And for some reason, Mark leaves now, we don't know why Mark left, but I wonder if Mark is a disciple of Paul. I wonder if there were some hurt feelings there. I wonder if they had an argument. I wonder, I don't know, but for some reason, Mark goes back to Jerusalem. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back. This is after they come back. And they're back in Antioch. Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated So Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. There's some stuff going on, (laughs) right? And it's interesting because I wonder, put yourself in Mark's shoes. What was Mark feeling? You see, if Mark was a disciple, I wonder if he thought to himself, oh man, I screwed it up. I screwed something up. Is there any hope for me? What's also interesting is we get this story from who? Do you remember? From Luke, who was traveling with Paul. So I wonder what Paul told Luke about Mark. But you know what's amazing? Luke is using Mark's story in order to speak into his own. It's fascinating, isn't it, how intertwined it is? But here's the thing. Mark writes, I think, his feelings into his good news. I think Mark knows what it feels like to be a disciple. And Mark feels the triumphs, right? When someone is healed, but also the struggle of what it is to follow someone, to follow Paul. I wonder if Mark just gave up at one point. He said, I'm going home. Well, it's interesting because Mark tells us a story of Jesus, but also of the disciples. And Mark doesn't give them a whole lot of grace. (laughs) Or, Mark is saying, there's hope for all of us. No matter how many times you screw it up, there's hope for all of us. But you know what I think Mark wants us to deal with and think about is the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And you think, I think he wants us to think about that, but I think he wants you to think about that. Who is Jesus to you? The disciples had to wrestle with this. Mark tells us this story, and Mark tells us of healings, of Jesus doing amazing things, of casting out demons. The disciples will be in a boat, and Jesus will calm the storm. And then we get to a story there's a bunch of people who are hungry and by this time these disciples, they've seen a lot and Jesus says hey they're hungry, feed them do you know what the disciples say? with what? they asked We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. I wonder if Jesus was like, oh, guys, who am I? So they found five loaves and two fish, and Jesus looked up to heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves... Into pieces he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Immediately After this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw... With his eyes, clearly that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror. They thought he was a ghost. You see, these disciples, they weren't seeing clearly. Who am I? There will be another time where people are hungry. And Mark tells us this story. And Jesus says, feed them. And the disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? (laughs) Jesus shakes his head. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. He had provided once again. Then Mark tells us this story. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat, left them, and crossed the other side of the lake. And then Mark adds this. This is great. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod and the disciples. Began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. <laughs> and Jesus says, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? Who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? And then Mark does something brilliant. Brilliant. When they arrived up at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Remember, Mark wasn't concerned about putting these stories in order. So why does Mark put this story here? Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Could Jesus have healed that man right away? Yes. I don't know if that's the point of this story. Because Mark uses it here for a specific reason. And I wonder if Mark is saying, even though you can see, it doesn't mean that you can see clearly. Because look at what Mark is doing. He's setting this up. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, What do people say I am? Well they replied some say John the Baptist some say Elijah and others say you are the one of the other prophets then he asked them but who do you say I am and Peter replied you are the Messiah But then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by elders, leaders, and priests. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and reprimanded Peter, get away from me, Satan, or adversary. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, and if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Interesting, right? The disciples didn't get it or at least took them a while. And here you have a disciple who may know what they feel like. And Jesus says to the disciples, who am I? You have, to, you have to wrestle with this question. But I wonder if Mark is saying to his audience, you have to wrestle with this question. So if the historians are right, Mark was responding to the believers in Rome. I want to take you to Rome for a minute. I want you to think about living in a place that had running water. It's a place where the emperor lived. It's a place with beautiful buildings. Friends, most of these people Most of these followers of Jesus in Rome had never been to podunk Israel. They didn't know what it meant to grow an olive tree in the fields or what it meant to farm or to be hot in the desert or to live in a village along with the rest of your family. They didn't know these things. And so Mark has the job of telling them who Jesus is in light of an emperor who claims to be God himself. And so I wonder if Mark is thinking, I have to give them a picture, a picture that they all know. And so Mark brilliantly takes something that they are all familiar with. Because you see, when the emperor, when it's time to become the emperor and to become a deity themselves, they went through a process. It's called a triumphal procession, and the process has eight steps. Let me walk you through those eight steps. The first step is the praetorian guard would gather around this person, this emperor, who was going to become deity. That's step number one. Step number two is they would crown this emperor with a crown of of laurels, of olive branches. And they would put on this person a purple robe and they would give them a scepter. That's step number two. Step number three is this praetorian guard would acclaim this emperor. Hail, emperor. Hail, Caesar. And then they would start the procession. The procession for this emperor to walk up and be a god. God to enter into the deities, his place among Zeus. And so they would process through the streets and the people would line the streets and in this procession, there would be a bull that they would sacrifice. And next to the bull, there would be a slave with an ax. It would be the way that they would sacrifice this bull and then next to that there would be someone who would be taking incense and spreading incense on the ground and across the, the, the people along the sides of the road it was almost as if the incense was here you want to smell what God is like what the emperor is like that's step four then they would take the emperor up to head hill in Rome it was Capitoline hill the highest place. And they would offer, step six, they would offer the emperor a glass of wine. And the emperor would take the glass of wine and pour it out. It's almost as if to say, I participate in this sacrifice. And then, the emperor would climb the steps and he'd put his second in command on his right and his third in command on his left and they would climb the steps and the crowd would be going wild and the emperor would get to the top of the steps and this would be the moment and they would wait for a sign of the God saying, yes, this is God himself standing before you. And sometimes that would be like doves would be released for Caesar Augustus, it was an eclipse. I don't know if they knew it was coming or if it was just good. I don't, I don't know. But the gods would say, we have our stamp of approval. Friends, let me read to you what Mark does. Remember the audience, right? Right? The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters. Now, this is interesting because Mark has to explain to his audience. Called the praetorium, he says, just so you know. And called out the entire regiment. Step one. They dressed him, Jesus, in purple robe. And they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on its head. Step two. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, split on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Step three. And then they led him away to be crucified. Step four. But listen to this scene. A passerby named Simon who was from Cyrene was coming in from the countryside just then and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. So here we have the sacrifice and we have the way the sacrifice will die. Simon, this is fascinating to me, Mark says this, Simon, to all you reading this, to all of you in Rome, remember Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, if you go back to the letter to the Romans, you know what Paul writes? Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull, head hill. And they offered him wine and drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Step six. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him and a sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews, Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Man, it's just like Jesus, isn't it? To put two sinners. (laughs) On his right and on his left. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. Hail, Caesar. Hail, Caesar. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. And one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And according to Mark, this is the moment that the world can see Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the King. Number eight, wait for the sign. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And this is my favorite verse in all of Mark, because when the disciples didn't see it, when the disciples didn't recognize who Jesus was, guess who did? When the Roman officer, the centurion who stood facing him, saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Can you imagine being a Roman citizen? The disciples had to answer this question. The Romans and the Christians living in Rome. You see, Rome wasn't making it easy to be a follower of Jesus. And so they had to answer, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And friends, I wonder if Mark was writing to us today, if he would ask us the same question. Who is the Jesus that you follow? Is it the the one that comes in power? That says, "I want to be acclaimed by everyone." Or is the, is it the one who sees power through a humble journey to a cross? helps me give Peter a little grace, doesn't it? Because I wonder what Peter wanted Jesus to be. And I wonder what it was like for Peter when Jesus says, you know what? Yes, you are right. I am the Messiah. But I may not be the Messiah that you want me to be. Because my way of power is by serving by humbling myself, by putting others before me. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take your own cross and follow in my footsteps. And it's not going to be easy. And there may be times that it's not pretty but this is what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to live a life of putting other people first. Now the world will tell you that's not how it works. But my kingdom is different. So who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Friends, we have an amazing opportunity to respond this morning. I'm going to pray. And then Adley has prepared a dance for all of you. Because Adley has had to struggle with the question, who is Jesus in her life? And you know what? For Adley... Jesus is her rescuer. And she's going to give you her testimony in a minute through dance. And I think you guys will all be blessed. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, for Mark. And we thank you that he was obedient in writing down the stories of Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for, for walking the path to the cross so that we can have life. But give us the courage to walk in your footsteps as we answer the question, who are you? Who are you to us? God, we give you our lives. And Jesus, we give you the glory. Amen.